Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. Good to see you back on the hedge. Good afternoon. Tom has the whole world sitting on his desk in the background. You can't see it because it's audio only, but yep. he goes back there and he spins it. If you feel dizzy sometimes, it's because Tom's spinning the world. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so today we are joined by Toby Metz, and we are going to talk about something really interesting. So Toby, let's just start with where are you physically? I'm in Germany, and for me, it's pretty late in the evening, but I hope my wits are still up. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, you need to go over there and poke at Germany and see if you can make Toby, like, shake oh, or something. Okay. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> so, um, so, Toby, where are you in Germany? What city? Uh, I'm pretty much in the middle between uh, Frankfurt and Cologne. Okay, cool. Cool. I've been to Berlin a couple of times and a couple of other small cities outside of, anyway, on the border of Austria and some other things like that. But at anyway, so what is a technologist? So let's begin there because you wrote this blog post that was pretty interesting, Generation Technologist or What is a Technologist? And you started with the classic Arthur C. Clarke quote, any sufficiently advanced technology is equivalent to magic. I think there are caveats to that, by the way, but yeah, <laughs> that's just me. So where where are you going with this? What was the what was the point? What were you trying to drive at? What are you trying to say? Or what question were you asking? What inspired you basically? Well, um, it was something I had in my head for a long time. This is why I chose this topic for my very first blog post also. <laughs> and yeah, it's more like um so many people are talking about things they're doing in technology and networking, programming, and all, all that stuff. And it still feels like everyone is thinking in their silo. But to me, it feels like for a couple of years now, um, everyone that's really invested in IT is more like a technologist, like a general person that has to handle so much things. Maybe he or she has a specialization in networking, data center, whatever cloud. But in, in general, this comes for me uh, uh, always when, when I think about it. When someone in my personal life asks me something about his computer or any technology they're using, it, uh, it's more like you need to know so much more and you know so much more. Maybe you're not a specialist in everything, but still uh, technology is everywhere and people that are good at dealing with those things are viewed as more like... Uh, Swiss army knife of technology, so to say, and not like, uh, oh, you're only doing networking. What is that? I, I only know computers. Yeah. So so one of the things we're getting at here then, I think, is probably the shape of what I call the shape of knowledge, right? T-shaped people versus narrow. I don't know how exactly to say it, but the narrowness versus the depth of your knowledge. You know, I'm doing a PhD right now, and one of my friends who... Um, has done is is a professor and yada yada yada. Always says the funny thing about a PhD is is it's essentially diving deeper into the ocean and coming up drier than anyone else ever has. <laughs> Be, being so narrow that you just don't know anything but that one topic. Well, that's not my 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 work isn't that narrow. Promise because that's just not the way I do things. But still, it is very true that this comes down to a lot of. Um, 
you have to know a lot of different things. So maybe one way of phrasing this is, what's the difference between a technologist and an engineer? Is that valid? What do you think, Tom? Is that is that a way of putting it? Or is that too splitting of hairs? Is that too pedantic? I don't know. Seems a little pedantic, but um, especially <laughs> for a lot of people who call themselves engineers, I personally sort of struggle with that, uh, attaching that title to myself. Um, but, you know, it's, it's what we do. I don't know. I, I guess, so I was wondering, Toby, what do you think, I mean, obviously you have uh, some passion around this subject. The thing I was thinking about reading the article, what do you think is the effect when there's a person who um, has uh, more of a, a broad general knowledge uh, and that person's a member of a team? What's, what's the effect on the team with that person having a generalist kind of coverage in their skills? Well, I, I think um, there may be some people who think uh, I can't talk to him uh, because uh, if I go a bit too deep, he, he can't follow. But I think it's very valuable to have someone who has a more broader view because he can see how all the pieces fit together on a certain level and then maybe put them together and hand it off again to the specialist to uh, do their thing, thing and uh, go deeper on the subject. So, so what about a team made up of nothing but generalists? Would that be a good thing? <laughs> Can be. Uh, um, maybe uh, they can't go very deep, but uh, they could uh, put together a much more uh, broad solution that's covering um, more than you think. Uh, it, it, it could be harder on them if, if the requirements are very specialized, but uh, then I think I wouldn't ask a team of generalists to um, do a specialized thing unless they want to get specialized. Well, I mean, I, I also, I think that part of the game that we're playing here is a little bit semantic and it's a little bit difficult yeah. for people to get their heads around, which is that specialization is actually situational, right? If, if you are, for instance, if you are out doing camping, right? And you just have this big encampment with 10 or 15 people, you might have someone who specializes in, I don't know, tying knots, or building signal fires or building fires or whatever the case might be. But that's not a very deep level of specialization when you think about it, right? There's there's just not that much. But everybody needs to be able to like cook on top of the cooking fire, you know, or build some type of a fire. Everybody's got to be able to do something. So, or some, everybody has to have a base skill set. And so I think sometimes what we get into is we get into thinking that there is a definite level of specialization versus a very definite level of broadness and skill sets that we can somehow define and say, this is the specialization you need, or this is the skill set broadness that you need. And I'm not sure that's true. I think it's kind of situationally dependent. So you say like you wouldn't ask a team of, of journalists to go do something very special or very specialized, but I don't know, I guess it would depend on what it was, right? It, it totally depends. It's uh, the golden answer in technology. It depends. <laughs> I, I think I put it also in the article <laughs> in the yes. blog post. Yeah. But um, maybe to go a little bit back on what Tom said, I, well, on your question, uh, uh, you relate to Tom Boss. I, I think an engineer could be a subset of a technologist. Like uh, for me, it's more like the general term because uh, there is so much that is involved nowadays uh, that. Um, if you wanted to, uh, not to split hairs again, uh, everyone could be called a technologist, even if he or she wouldn't do it for themselves. So I guess one question I guess I could ask here is that how do you, how would you see the difference between something that I would call an architecture level position and a technologist? Is that a fair question? 
Yeah, I, I think um, architecture level person for me and how I see it, how my definition of this is, uh, would be like the person uh, that is a technologist, but with a very deep level of knowledge in the broadness, but maybe also in some specializations because uh, he has the experience and has done the things and learned the things uh, and strives to learn the things uh, that helps giving this view of the whole, but also knows uh, some parts of it that are very special and that maybe uh, someone who's starting new uh, or who's, who, who isn't uh, as far um, wouldn't be able to handle by himself, would need some help with. Interesting, because to me, one difference between an architect and a technologist would be that the architect understands business and pushes back on business, whereas a technologist is still primarily focused on. So maybe there's three things here. Maybe there's an engineer who understands a particular field or how to do something. And here's another distinction we get into. But anyway, and then there's like this technologist person who generally understands the technology at a broader level, but doesn't necessarily interact with the business so much. Maybe, I don't know. And then there's this architect person who is in the position where they say the, the business comes to them and says, I want to do X. And the architect says, yeah, but you really don't want to do X because of the business implications of their doing X, even though it's a technology you're asking me to do. Um, it's actually a business problem for you to use this technology because it's going to rope you into a position where you can't make other business decisions in the future. I don't know. What do you think about that? Tom? I, I would I would argue that the the architect doesn't just push it back against business. The architect also pushes back against technology, because you know there there are there are problems that are solved better with process. Um, there especially within the context of a culture of a company and their in their business practices. Um, yes, a technical solution could could do a good job at this, but maybe it's not the right one. I think I think the architect pushes back both ways. And, uh, you know, to gain trust and credibility, they almost have to, um, it, you know, it, it demonstrates a, an understanding of the business climate and of the technology climate. And so, yeah, that, that was the first thing I thought about when you were talking. And I also think, um, you know, a deep understanding of technology, uh, is critical for an architect. Um, but there, th this comes back to the, the T-shaped skills that you were talking about before. And to me, what that means is that, Someone needs to someone needs to have the, the the tall part of the T, right? The 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 ability to go deep, and so they have an area of specialization. But then they also uh, generalize. You know, they they learn skills at a shallower level on a, on a wider basis. And what this does is just demonstrates that a person knows how to go deep when they need to, um, but has the capability to you know go wide as well. I think that's. In that sense, I think an architect and, an, and a technologist almost could be the same person. Um, but I don't know. Maybe that's not the right uh, split. So, well, actually, actually, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think that one of the things that we have in the networking world, and this is going to sound very heretical when I say this because people are going to get mad at me, which is okay. I don't, I don't care if they get mad at me, is that um, we have the very definite impression that skill sets – learned, how should I put this, from a book, aren't as good as skill sets learned on the keyboard. And I, I, I sometimes think that we push this to an extreme where we have so biased ourselves towards people who are console monkeys. Not to, I'm not trying to use that term in a derogatory way, but people who just do console work and their fingers on keyboard 
that we don't actually value the other skill sets very much. Um, in fact, I've been told by by someone, I asked them if they had, they asked me something about how they become an architect or something like that. And I said, have you read, like, for instance, the new book that I wrote, that Ethan and I wrote on um, um, on problems and solutions? And they said, well, I looked at it, but that stuff just didn't seem very useful to me. Like, I don't really care about that stuff. What I really care about is making it work. And something, somehow there seems to be a disconnect to me there. Um, and maybe that's just our culture. Uh, so that's kind of something that I think that we could do better at, perhaps. Toby, what do you, and, what do you, I'm, I'm curious what you think about the book smarts versus street smarts sort of thing Russ was talking about. How does that play into your, your idea? Yeah, I'm definitely in the book camp <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, I'm best when I look at things and learn things at my own pace and with the resources I like. Um, and to me, it's always, I want to understand how I do it, but, uh, why I need to do it and how it works. So I don't want to be the keyboard monkey, so to say. Um, I wanted to be that at, at the early stages of my career, but I, uh, pretty fast learned that, yeah, you can do that, but, uh, that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is how fits everything together and, um, to look at the big picture, and even go into direction uh, you discussed earlier with uh, the architect that you maybe needs to put a little push a little bit back to the business because uh, I think the main gap we still have in 2020 is that IT can't talk to the business. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right, right. So I think I think that is I think that's a part of what you've written around here is that you know the broadness is very important, but that we still need to think in terms of you know, keyboard monkey versus the person who is doing the architects, I always say, you know, the the implementer or the operator versus the designer versus the architect is kind of the way I would put it. But I think the designer kind of falls into the technologist perspective by and large is kind of where I see it. I mean, when we did the CISO certified architect, that's one of the things we tried to do was to get it where there was a business process. And you had to deal with the business process, not the technology. I mean, you had to know the technology well enough to do it. But that was a critical differentiation between the CCDE and CCAR, was the CCAR actually intentionally contained business process. That's what it was about, was the business process pieces. Um, and I don't think a lot of people understand that when they look at those certifications. But that's kind of a feeling that I have. So you ask a couple of other interesting questions here. Um, for instance, like, what do I focus on? And so any thoughts on that concept of focus? I mean, if we talk about generalization, how do you focus if you're generalizing? <laughs> um, the idea for me around this is you have to start somewhere and you maybe have to find your passion for the moment. Uh, for me, it's always for the moment. I, I started with uh, classic networking, routing, switching. I still stick to the campus and a little bit to the data center side, but also got interested in security and uh, learned stuff in that direction. And it's, um, I think you need to focus on a specific topic to get an idea and overview. And uh, then maybe you get, go a little bit deeper or you go to the Nexus adjacent field if it fits uh, your interests. And so you, you build up a broadness, but um, for me, this worked. I don't know if this is generally a good approach, but uh, 
I think uh, you you need to dig a little bit below the surface uh, to get a general understanding of a topic before you can say I move on to the next thing that's interesting to me or that I need for the job I'm doing right now. So any thoughts on that one, Tom? Yeah, I think think a lot of what you get good at is um, in some ways controlled by what projects you happen to be working on at work. So I, I, I am firmly in the, um, the understanding the theory camp, the book smarts camp myself as well, because I feel like it gives me the flexibility to converse with a lot more people, uh, than, and a lot, a lot more different types of expertise, uh, than if I just know how to implement. But I think that what you're working on, it sort of guides your, your, your professional development, the thing that you're actually building, um, at least for me. Um, I, I love to read about theory and abstraction. These are concepts that I just enjoy, but um, you're not really going to get it all the way until you've built it. And so in that respect, I definitely I definitely um, understand what the um, street smarts people are saying that, you know, you're not really going to get it until you build it for real. But um, I, I guess I think that you need to build a couple things. You need to build things for real, but you also need to try to think in a more global general sense so that you can speak in abstraction. Okay. So, so a blend is what you would say, but, but when you talk about implementing things, you're not talking about uh, actually configuring them. You're talking about getting them running, which involves configuration, right? That always involves configuration. It involves selecting hardware and software, but it doesn't end there. No, no, no. Yeah. You can't like, yeah, configuration. And that's another problem, I guess. People kind of think that configuration is the whole thing. Like, oh, I have my vendor. My vendor tells me use this box for this function. Sweet, done. Look up the uh, configuration guide, configure it. Now I know how to run whatever, BGP, OSPF. Uh, you know, they, I think they're missing it and implementing it, just like you said, uh, Russ, I think is a broader exercise than just typing commands in. And it's yeah. a broader exercise than automating the typing in of those commands as well. Oh, yes. And that that's a pet peeve. So anyway, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> I think I think Tobias had something, or Toby had something to say there. I think uh, the thing is, uh, if you understand um, how it should work, then you can uh, transport it to the configuration part. So, example for myself, uh, I learned vendor A, uh, how to configure it and do like the standard stuff, OSPF, a little bit of routing, and so and so on. And then I had a project where I worked on vendor B. And I pretty much uh, realized quickly that when I read up uh, how I need to do the commands, this works the same way. So I don't need, uh, it's not something entirely new, but uh, many people treat it like something entirely new. And that's, uh, that's maybe still a problem. And dare say that it's possible that someone can become something like an architect without coming up through the ranks of configuration if he has the right uh, attitude and the right materials to learn it. But I don't know if much people uh, that have come this way, it's always like I've been sysadmin or like operations, then I've become the engineer and then I've gone into architecture. That's like the standard way spending over multiple years. But I think it could be possible uh, if uh, going at it with the right attitude and mindset and even maybe a structure like something that's offered by college, university or um, even a community if there are people willing to... uh, help each other out that it could that someone could become uh, like an architect with, without going through the ranks but with learning the right thing well i think i think our profession just it in general especially networking is not old enough yet uh for us to be up for someone to be able to 
start a career and say, I want to be a network architect and never have configured a router, you know, give it 50 years, maybe we'll be there. But this isn't like the profession of teaching or, or uh, being an attorney or something that's been with us for a long, long time. We just don't have, it's just, it's just too young for that. So I agree with you right now. You're the people that do that have to have done it at, at the full stack. It's a, it's a specialization problem. The industry is not large enough to have truly bifurcated in many ways. Now it has to some degree, like if you are, you can become an operator or somebody who just does configuration and knock work and stay there for the rest of your life. And there's a perfectly great career field there, by the way. You could start out working in a knock in a company and end up working in escalation team at a vendor. And you're doing basically the same thing, but just at a different level and at a higher complexity level, a harder problem set. Um, and then you might move to, you know, you might start with a smaller company and move to that and then move into a quasi SRE role on the networking side and NRE role on the networking side at a large provider at a hyperscaler or something. You're still doing the same basic kinds of work, but you've actually built a career out of doing nothing but troubleshooting and configuration and deployment. And there's nothing wrong with that at all in my mind. But on the other side, you might start at that level and move into design and then move into architecture, move into being a more pure technologist. But I agree with you. I don't think that there's a way right now to move directly to pure technologist without just doing. I mean, I started in tech. I mean, that's what I was doing. I actually started before that. I started working building Banyan Vines networks, but let's not get that old. (laughs) (laughs) In troubleshooting token bus and token ring networks. And by the way, Tommy Comrade hardware is the worst in the lightning storm. That that much I still remember about Token Ring um, <laughs> is that Tommy Comrade, no, I don't even think they exist anymore, but at that time, every time there was a lightning storm, every Tommy Conrad hub that we had that I managed blew themselves to smithereens and I had to go replace them all, <laughs> no matter what we did. So, I mean, you do have to get to that. I think you have to start there. Even in the modern world, I think you have to start there to some degree and move out from there. So, yeah, I mean, Toby, I think that's true. I think focus is something that is serial. Like you start one place and you focus on one thing and then you work on the next thing and then you work on the next thing. And Tom, I think, is saying the same thing. It's project-based, right? You start one place and you do one thing and you do the next thing and you do the next thing. And eventually you build up enough knowledge. Um, But like you said, Toby, I think that... Understanding the theory helps you make those leaps. I think that's what people don't understand about learning the theory. Yeah. Sometimes things get dumped onto you. <laughs> like uh, I was still in my uh, CLI monkey world when uh, I worked at a reseller and my boss dumped on me, yeah, uh, we need to keep our partner status, uh, do CCDA. <laughs> and I, I said, I don't want to do design. That's not interesting. And then I stuck into learning i got a, a, a little bit started to get in, get into the mindset and then i realized this is way more interesting than uh, like doing uh, always typing the same thing in the cli and hoping it works <laughs> <laughs> and hoping it works oh come on it's not that bad is it <laughs> not always <laughs> but i think yeah. everyone knows the story <laughs> yes oh yes of course of course yes yeah. exactly yes yeah so another um, thing that you put in here is about focusing on things to secure or even a high paying job for the next couple of years. And I think that's something else we do a lot of in the networking industry. 
is that we tend to focus on what's going to get us the job for next year. And look, I mean, I'll be honest. I could probably make a lot more money than I've made across my career, just to be frankly honest. In fact, I've been fussed at about it by some of my friends. But I'm not sure that really matters in the long run. I mean, it does, but does it? I mean, what's your thought on this, Tom? What What do you think? Where are you at on this? No, I, I think, um, I mean, there, the research is pretty clear that money doesn't uh, really improve your well-being beyond a certain point. Um, and, you know, how you see yourself in terms of status, maybe it's not about money. Um, you know, for a lot of people, it's about, I just want to be on top of the hill. I don't care how much I get paid. I just want to be the person that's most important. And, you know, that's that's another incentive to go after. I I think people are people have different motivations, but I, I feel like for me, the, I, I want to be doing something that I'm good at, that it took me a long time to get good at and that I can help other people get good at. And, um, that can be a, a lot of different types of tasks. I mean, that could be troubleshooting, that could be designing, doing architecture. Um, but yeah, I think that really you have to look at what is it, what are the activities I like doing? Like if you like drawing diagrams and doing PowerPoint, don't be ashamed. <laughs> That's, you know, there's, there's, there's really interesting work that where that, those are your primary tools. Even if, you know, your CLI friends kind of mock you for it. Um, if that's what you want to do, um, there's a lot of value that those things bring. Um, I think it's really important to figure out what you want to do and what you enjoy doing. Justin, so Toby, any thoughts on that one? What came to my mind was just now was like um, maybe when you start early in your career, money is a huge driver, especially if you have a debt to pay from uh, uh, college or university or you're starting a family, you need it. But I think for many people, there's certain point in their career when they start shifting around and I think yeah money is nice but what do I really want and I think this can be a turning point for some people maybe even for more people than I think of right now for me it's already um I I started like what can I do that's uh, another reason why I started the blog was like I listen to a lot of podcasts I read a lot of blogs I follow all you guys <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, that helped me it a sounds lot. Sounds like my... you need a life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if you listen to a podcast on 1.5 speed and do it while you do a walk in the morning or to commute before oh, the no. pandemic. Oh, no. Now you're telling me you really don't listen. There you go. <laughs> no, 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 no. I listen. I listen. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> but, go ahead. <laughs> but but uh, uh, for me, it was like I have taken so much from the community as a, as a whole in the last couple of years, I started to want to give back. And that's why I also started to reach out and try to get involved because I want to give back. I don't want to wait until, oh yeah, it's like five years to retirement. Maybe I, I can drop something anywhere. I don't know if somebody reads it or listens to it, whatever, and goodbye. No, I've started wanted to give back as soon as I can because it helped me a lot. And I hope that I'm not totally saying stupid things <laughs> and can help other people um, in their career. But actually, that's okay, because if you say something stupid and somebody pushes back, that's actually one way you learn. And I don't yeah. think a lot of people, I think we have a very, uh, we have a, we have a, we live in a career field where people don't like being wrong, but they do not like it at all. They are very, they're scared. of it. It's like, oh my, if I'm wrong, then what am I being employed for? Oh, oh, that can't be, I can't be wrong because then somebody will fire me or they'll find out and they'll find out that some design I did 10 years ago really stank. Well, you know, get over it. <laughs> Sorry, get over it. 
<laughs> so I don't know. I mean, that's just my perspective on it is, hey, I've been wrong. Whatever. Get over it. You know, I go back and I read stuff that I wrote, by the way, even stuff that I've wrote 20 years ago, written 20 years ago, I wrote 20 years ago. And I think I could have done so much better at writing that. I could have explained that so much better now that I understand a lot more. And, you know, on the other side of that, there is some value in letting things stew before you say them. Because sometimes you do learn stuff over the next four or five years that change the way. There are some things that I wrote that I probably shouldn't have. I shouldn't have waded into certain things until I was much older, much more experienced. And you what I was talking about. But I think I think the community gets more out of it when you. I'm going to push back against that a little bit, Russ. I, I think the community gets more out of it, even if you, you know, for your own personal gain. Yeah, maybe you sh- maybe you should have waited. Um, maybe you look better if you had waited, but the community gets more out of active voices uh, than we get out of perfectly curated, um, you know, things that we build. Um, And and I, you know, I'm guilty of this too. Like I want it to look good. I want to appear to be smart. When someone does a Google search for my name, I want them to read it and be like, that guy's smart. I don't want them to read it and be like, ah, he sort of messed up a couple things. But, but when, when people read the post where you sort of messed up a couple things and they say, Hey, what about this? Or they're a jerk to you. I mean, that's all, that's all to your benefit and, and the community's yeah. benefit helps, helps you engage. Actually yeah. means somebody read it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and it means you get to learn, you get to learn to have some thick skin, which by the way, if you want to have really thick skin, just write a couple of books and send them to a really good editor and you learn to detach yourself from your work and you stop, take it, stop taking it personally very, very quickly. Either you're going to stop taking it personally or you're going to stop writing. There's just, there's just no way around it. Nice. I'm sorry, nice. but, you know, it's just the way it is. So, Toby, there's, your, involved in there's the, your next assignment. You wrote, a blog, you wrote a blog, book is next. Yeah, book is next. <laughs> or get involved in the IETF and just have people hammer you. People <laughs> complain about the, the, about, the, about the culture in the ITF and how rough it is. But I can tell you I've learned tons and tons from people telling me I'm wrong, yeah. which is fine. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, great. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm happy. At least I get to learn. Good. I make you a deal, Tom. Uh, if you write a book with me, we can start tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. Now we're, on the, now we're on the record. What time did this happen? Do you need to edit this out? Well, you know, we can always trim that section out of the podcast. So. <laughs> well, I don't think I will. I think we'll leave it. <laughs> we'll just let that lie right there. So... Another thing that you put in here is like, you can't know everything. And I think that's another thing that's really important in our industry is that in the networking world is we do want to know everything. Like we feel bad if we don't know everything. I mean, I do. Okay. I'll tell you, this is a personal failing. It drives me nuts if I go to a car dealership and they start talking about my car and I don't know what they're talking about. That's, that's, that drives me nuts. That's just. (laughs) I've got to go look it up and and find a YouTube video or something or some textbook that explains what they're talking about because it just drives me nuts. I just don't like that, that that's the way it is. But, you know, the problem is I only have 24 hours in a day (laughs) and (laughs) there's only so much I can know. So uh, I'm pretty fast at learning, but come on, I'm not going to learn everything. So thoughts on that one, either of you two? Yeah, well, um, it's 
practically the same for me. <laughs> like I like to know and I don't like to be wrong. And I, I hate it when people ask deeper questions that I can't answer, <laughs> that I need to uh, defer to the next day or even later on or even to another person. But uh, on the other hand, even if you're a fast learner, even if you um, can get into things quickly, uh, I think the memory in our head to use the analogy is also not unlimited. So uh, there will be some things uh, that trickle out that you maybe only remember on the surface, even if you have known them very good in the past. So, but that's a whole another discussion that we should maybe uh, uh, talk to a person uh, that knows a lot lot more about the brain but <laughs> at least i know the feeling uh, and i think there's some truth to it <laughs> yeah there's a there's this apocryphal story about i don't know if it's true or not about einstein that he was at some party and somebody asked him for his phone number and by the way this may just come from sherlock holmes actually went through this in one of his stories as well but anyway so they had a phone book uh, they had a phone laying around they had a phone book there and so he looked up his own phone number and gave it to the person and they were like so <laughs> You you don't know your own phone number? And he's like, Well, I never call it. Why would I yeah. memorize it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's just that's just little piece of my brain that I could use for memorizing something that I actually care about. I don't care what my phone number is. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It it could be true. Um another thing you put in here is never stop asking questions. And I think that is really, really important, is that asking questions is Really at the root. Now, this goes back to our whole thing, right? Going to the car dealership and not understanding what the dealer is saying or the technician is saying and saying, I've got to go learn how that works, right? I think that's a part of the whole asking question things right there is just seeing that I don't know something and being curious. Again, curiosity is a really, really un unsung thing in our career field, I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, and it ties back to the part of always wanting to look smart, but... I think it is not like looking dumb when you ask questions. It shows that you're interested and that you don't know all the details and that you want to understand it. So maybe instead of going home and looking everything up that the um, technician at the car dealer said to you, maybe just ask him. But that's always something that's maybe hard to do in the situation. I try to make a game out of this. Um, if there's something, when I, when I see an opportunity, something I don't know and something I could learn, like try to ask a smart question um, and Usually it backfires because usually you don't have enough, you know, at least for me, I don't have enough depth to actually ask a smart question. But the fact that I'm trying to ask a smart question sort of engages my brain. And then usually it steer, and especially if I'm talking to a, a real expert, um, um, usually it steers the conversation into pretty deep waters, which is for me, I like, I like to go, uh, you know, into some more depth. And so just for me, if I'm like, well, I'm, if I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question that, that makes me look good. And it ends up making me not look good, but it also leads me to a trail uh, down a trail of, you know, getting some some really interesting depth from that person. Right. Yep. And I, I think that's really I do think that's a big thing is, and by the way, I think a lot of asking questions and being curious, I think, comes down to one of the things is that um, just the way you go about your attitude and in going into it. Right. If your attitude is. I'm trying to learn this so that I know. That's one thing. If your attitude is, I want to know this because I want to appear smart, then there's a word for that. It's called vanity, and it's generally not a good thing. Or if I want to know this so I can win an argument, well, that's that's really annoying too, right? 
But I think the attitude is is a lot of this that comes into this. So I think that was a really good conversation. I can't think if there's anything else. Tom, do you have any other questions or Toby, anything you want to say before we wrap this beast up? For me, uh, it, it's not a long blog post, but I try to get it to the point. And um, I think we have gotten at it, maybe not from all angles, but from a lot of angles. <laughs> okay, good. Well, we hope you keep blogging, Toby, and we hope you inspire Tom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's, Never fails. You knew that was coming, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You had to know that was coming. <laughs> but I heard you agreed to write a book, so I guess I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Will that get me out? Oh, Will that, like, oh, is that going to get me out of the, the <laughs> flogging every single recording? <laughs> no. So, good. So, Toby, why don't you tell people where your blog is so they can get in touch with you? And I assume they can also reach you on Twitter at some Twitter handle and on LinkedIn someplace or another. Yeah, just look for my name on LinkedIn, uh, Tobias Metz, or Tobias Metz for the English-speaking people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The blog is frequencyshifter.tech, and uh, my Twitter handle is net underscore Toby, but I'm not that active at the moment. I'm more following other people, but I try to get more active there too. But the priority for now is more being active on the blog first. All right. Awesome. And Tom, you're just LinkedIn, right? Uh, That's pretty much your primary Yeah, LinkedIn, Tom Ammon, and then also Twitter, Tom Ammon, although I don't really say interesting things on Twitter. I mostly just parrot what other smart people are saying. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, my theory about Twitter is I just don't want to get too involved in it. I just have too many other things in my day to do. One of, one of the secrets of getting things done is to not have any social media networks on your phone. Mm. Make it where you have to intentionally log in through a web browser to get there. Seriously, I just don't spend any time on social media on my phone. That's why I don't really answer PMs on Twitter because I just don't. I have to intentionally go out and log in to Twitter to get to the point where I can answer a PM. And it's not that I mind logging into Twitter. It just takes so much time, which is kind of the point. It keeps me from spending my time on Twitter. Instead, I can spend my time listening to some album if I want to relax, because Twitter is not very relaxing for me, or (laughs) I can do something else. But anyway, all right, I'm Russ White, and you can always find me at rule11.tech, Routing Geek and Twitter, And on LinkedIn, of course, it's RIW777 on LinkedIn. If you want to look me up, find the right Russ White there. That's cool. And we'll catch you next time on The Hedge. Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech.